Massachusetts, uh, former uh, Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commissioner, Shalene Title. Welcome. Former What's... commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For so long, you were the Cannabis Control Commissioner. Now you're former. Yeah. It's nice to just be here as a concerned citizen. Well, I think that might give you a lot more freedom tonight. I'm not sure. I mean, you were mentioned in the lawsuit that was withdrawn that the uh, CDA had filed and then withdrawn. What, what are your all your thoughts on this tonight? You know, it's probably the same as what I would have, what I have been saying as the commissioner, which is that I think that in our state, we have a focus on positive impact on disproportionately harmed communities and uh, diversity um, in companies. So every company, you know, when they do their application, they have to fill out those two elements of the application. And then upon renewal, they have to show um, the way that they progressed, you know, and, and took the steps in their plan. And I think what we're seeing now is really related to the things we've been saying all along, which is, um, do you take that seriously, you know, as part of the, the mandate in the state? And, um, you know, of course, everyone has the right to use our legal system. That's what it's there for. Um, and at the same time, consumers have the right to make informed choices. So I think what we saw this week was um, really looking at different companies actions you know and comparing it to their words and i think that putting that information out there so that consumers can make their own choices um is is a very good thing i'm messing with the controls streaming i'm trying to figure out some things on the fly here but uh i thank you so much shaleen for joining us tonight um wh what is your because we have this question what is your advice for these dispensaries looking at the situation, some of them have left the Commonwealth Dispensary Association, uh, a dozen of them, some have not. Mm -hmm. What should they, I mean, a lot of them have just, I think a lot of the community don't feel good about them at this point. What should they be doing to kind of repair things? Um, you know, so as, as someone who has uh, no authority at this point, no um, financial stake in any of this, just, just someone who actually really wants to see the industry succeed, like the whole industry, you know, I, I, I really do think that there is a way to, um, to come back from something like this. Um, it's really taking those things seriously. How are you positively impacting disproportionately harmed communities? How are you treating that within your own company, right? So there's like the external positively impacting communities, and then there's your own company internally. How are you treating people? Um, and then there's matching your words with your actions. So um, to be more concrete, I would say in particular, if you invest in, um, in diversity and accountability the same way that you invest in, say, security um, or any other important part of your business, because I think we've seen this week, this is a business decision, then that'll go well for you. Um, and in particular, I always advise companies to have their um, person who oversees this issues, whether you want to call it a diversity officer or something else, you should have them report right to the CEO. And that's pretty, pretty common advice from people with expertise in these issues. Um, because you can affect change better that way. And then when something like this comes up, this came up over a weekend, right? And so you saw companies able to take very quick action in some cases, you know, and in other cases, you just took a little longer and then you end up look like you, looking like you're just following from behind. 
Um, you really want to have somebody in your company with expertise, high up, who can make quick decisions. Again, the same way that you would treat something like security. Awesome. Um, we've got some comments too. Michael Ortol writes, yay, the people's champ, which brings me back to, you know, you say you're just a private citizen, but you are like the one that a lot of people listen to and look up to and respect based on your work and your actions and the things that you've actually done, which is awesome. Um, so speaking of that, you, your name comes up a lot lately in lists. I see these, you know, press people come up with lists, you know, I'm having a hard time saying that word list, <laughs> but they come up with these lists and you're always on the list now on, uh, for the Biden administration, like looking at the <laughs> drugs are and things like that. I know you think it's funny. What, what like, is there any truth to that? Like, have you heard from anybody? There's no feelers or anything? What? No. Mm, I mean, very, very mild. I think like it, to the extent I come up on people's lists, you know, if they're serious and then they look at my Twitter account or something like I, I highly doubt that I'm in the running. Um, but I do think that there is a need to um, there's a need to like have a really serious central source of what federal legalization will look like, especially from an equity perspective. I think we actually saw with the MORE Act over the last couple months that we didn't have that coalition ready to go. Um, and we also need people to pressure the Biden administration to do the right thing, because even though he's I mean, he supported decriminalization. He wasn't like anywhere near where the rest of the candidates were. He's shown a great capacity to evolve from being like your typical drug warrior in the 80s to now saying, OK, I'm open to decriminalization. And of course, his vice president, Kamala Harris, was the Senate sponsor of the MORE Act. So there's a lot of room to, I think, positively influence the administration. So I'm definitely interested in that. And um, I think we should all be starting to add um, federal legalization to our long list of things to do. We got to look at local licensing. We got to go to look at CCC regulations. We've got to look at um, the state laws that are being filed now, right? And then, and then federal as well. Yeah, we're talking to uh, uh, Shalene Title, uh, former uh, Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commissioner, talking about federal and local in Massachusetts. Um, specifically, like we we talked about, you know, people putting you on lists. What it, what is the future? Like, what do you? I mean, this is recent that you're not a cannabis control commissioner. So a lot of us want to know what are you going to do next. I'm sure you might not even know at this point, but yeah, what are you I, thinking I about? Know. I don't know. I um. I gotta say, I've had a really fun month being unemployed. <laughs> I gotta say, I kind of love it. Um, I think that everybody should take a break when they can. Um, you know, thank you for saying that about the list. Like I obviously was not like trying to get on lists or anything. I've just been trying to be really honest with people my whole term. And that would never have made an impact if it wasn't for shows like yours, independent media, social media, and people sharing all of this and people really being willing to um, look at the details, which I know takes a ton of work and to get mobilized. Um, because otherwise, you know, I would have just had one out of five votes. That's not a very big deal. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very grateful to the community. Well, I think people recognize your work too. They see the work ethic and they, I mean, just you talked about your Twitter. Your Twitter could disqualify you because you're too honest, but like, it, like people get a lot of information and, and value just from your Twitter. Like you're a very, unlike a lot of public officials, you, you go out and find, if, if someone has a question, you'll like track it down. 
like most of them do, don't respond to us at all. Even someone like myself who will have them on the show around election time and they're my best friend. They'll take a picture with us and, you know, I'm their buddy, a first yeah. name basis. And then the next thing you know, they don't respond to the, the simple, just the basic stuff. And you're always someone that does. So uh, I want to thank you so much for your service that, you know, what you did on the Cannabis Control Commission. And I think you should be proud that Charlie Baker, I don't know what happened there, but it seemed like, it seemed like you really did get under his skin. Did you, do you think you did? Like what, what's going on with you and Charlie Baker? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he has the, the mental space to think about me <laughs> very much. Um, but I will say, honestly, since I'm a, a private citizen and I can say whatever I want, I suspect that um, not from Charlie Baker, from, from certain parties, there was a real desire to see me replaced with someone who would be uh, much more corporate friendly and a, a corporate front, you might even say. And I, I, I find a lot of satisfaction in the fact that that did not happen. It seems like it's the same group of people we're talking about tonight that, you know, the ones that are getting comments like dismantle a CDA from our, from our listeners right now. I mean, it's the, uh, am I right? Do you think it's them, that group of people who are basically, yeah. I, I have no way of knowing. Um, I, I also try not to, um, I try not to paint trade associations with one brush, honestly, because there's a lot of different types of ways you can be in a trade association, right? Like you can um, be really, really active in decision making, or you could just join it and like never go to a meeting and not know what's going on. So when you see a list, like there's probably a lot of different types of actors in there. Um, but I mean, this week was just so interesting because it's like you join a trade association for benefits, right? Not to be like associated with certain things. So I feel like it is really important for trade associations to make decisions, knowing that all of their members are going to be held accountable for them, you know, and being responsible about that. Do you think that the CDA has learned anything from this or do you think they're going to continue to operate the way they have? That is a great question. I, I don't know. Um, I think, you know, it depends, you know, at any any organization that's made up of members like that, it depends on what the members do. Um, but like I said before, I've, I've had a pretty good um, working relationship with them. Generally, we did a lot of little things. Like I mentioned the other day, we worked on a, the buffer zone together. So um, I think there is an opportunity always um, to make the right decision or to change to change what you're doing, but it always has to be more than words. And this community has made it very clear that, you know, if someone is saying one thing with words and doing something else with actions, they're absolutely going to be held accountable for that in public. It's funny. I have to ask you that question because I can't ask them that question because they don't come on. Uh, the CDA, Keith Cooper from Revolutionary Clinics, they, those folks will never come on. I, I'm, I mean, we'll see. I, I think that would be a, a good way to show that they've actually started to listen to the community is maybe come on a show like this and not hide because the community is on this show. And I think that, uh, I don't know, I think it would be good faith for them to do it, but I, I don't think they will. I'm going to bring Aaron uh, back up and also Devin. Do you have comments or questions for Shalene or more things you want to add to the conversation that we've been discussing? Um, I'll just say one Shaleen kind of been the biggest influence for me personally before I was CEO of anything, before anything, you know, she created the program, she created exclusivity. There was no role in relief that I was doing title. 
I don't have to become a public speaker, socially entitled. Um, growing up, I was always a very shy kid, you know, and, um, very quiet person. I've been around the community for a long time, but it hasn't been just the couple of years people start to realize who I am. It's all really lost with Celine. Um, back in 2019, September, Celine came out, you know, National Expungement Day clinic. It was a Thursday night, you know, she had a headache. Bill came through and that meant the world to me. You know, it gave me a lot of clout. And uh, my, co- my co-workers were like, you know, Celine Title, oh my God, how did you get Celine Title to come out? So um, just thank you for everything you've done. And I'm just grateful for like, what we've built over the years. Damn, that's really meaningful. Thank you. And it makes my job so easy. And, and this goes for the other commissioners too. Like when you all are being so active and engaged and, and mobilized, you know, it's just, it's not hard to work for people who are doing so much work for themselves. You know, um, really proud to just be associated with you. Awesome. I, I'm almost like have a tear in my eye. It sounds like Devin, like you're you're speaking to your, your like hero here, right? Like someone who really helped you out. Aaron, what what do you, I'm sure you have something to add as well. Uh this is funny. I mean, I've always told this to her before that we were just trying to get into the industry, honestly speaking. And um because of our background, we're just kind of very thorough in how we approach um when we're analyzing how we want to get into the industry and we just saw social equity participants try and fit a square peg into a round hole and we're just sitting here and we we know the numbers we have analyzed them in so many different ways my wife and i and we sat there for a, a few days and we're just like let's just keep our heads down let's just not get involved but then you just keep seeing it and we were both like you know what there's going to be a lot of carnage on, you know, on the street and people are going to lose their livelihoods. And, you know, we should just get into this. I, at this point, it's a moral obligation and you, you can't just sit back and just not do something if you see uh, something not working. And I think the commissioners made a very, very, I mean, they tried to create something that really could work. And we just showed her the spreadsheets. It started with a spreadsheet, honestly speaking. And uh, we just showed her. I said, listen, I think we're on the right track here, but I don't think it's going to work in this fashion. And honestly, what really needs to happen is that social equity needs to have their own license as independent of uh, of any other retailer and have to depend on them in order to operate and to make the margins needed in order to be a viable business. And uh, Shailene, she spearheaded it. Um, I think she kind of walked us through the rest of the commissioners and introduced it, the idea. And um, and then I don't even know how Devin and I even met. Um, I always keep forgetting that story, Devin, but um, we just all kind of came together with this common idea. And it was funny because we used to see the, the back when we used to have the meetings actually in person and the commissioners to me just seem like this distant body but it's not until like once you actually start to talk to them and it's like oh okay they're actual people like you and i oh they're actually trying to create social uh, equity and inclusion and it's like once you start talking to them more and more, okay, it's like, wow, okay, these are actually people you could talk to them, very receptive. And I think they just want to get this right. 
And uh, I think Shailene has been really great at that. And, uh, you know, I look forward to working with the rest of the commissioners. But truthfully speaking, uh, I wish you were back on the, <laughs> the commissioner body. Um, but I think you're probably going to do even more things now um, that you're out of it. So, listen, I, I think we got a great ally going forward. And it's clear that the fight still continues, which is sad to say. You know, what I think is so fascinating is um, what was really revolutionary about these past few months was uh, the democratization of information, starting especially with that spreadsheet that you had, because um, it's like this tiny little model of what good governance could look like if you, as a body, as an agency, are listening to the people who are primarily affected by the decisions that you're making, and people of all backgrounds, not just the ones that can afford the lobbyists to speak for them. And so that's probably the thing I'm most proud of when I think of what we accomplished together as a commission and as a community is setting that foundation so that now going forward, if that culture continues, and I think it will, in the commission of being accessible, um, no matter how hard the goal is, and this is obviously an extremely hard goal and mandate, you have the ingredients there because you have people who are open-minded, you have people who are willing to listen and look at the evidence and then make evidence-based decisions and tweaks down the line. There's no way that you don't get to your goal with those ingredients. Yeah. We're the Young Jerks. We got uh, three guests here, Devin Alexander, Aaron Goins, and Shalene Title, former Cannabis Control Commissioner of Massachusetts. Uh, we're also hoping to get Grant Smith on pretty soon and uh, maybe Fabricio uh, from UFCW to weigh in on all of this this week as well. Um, anything you want to leave? Like, I, I think my final question for all three of you is for people who are listening, what, how can they support what's happening, you know, for equity in Massachusetts and how can they support the cannabis community right now? What, what any organizations, groups, things that they should be looking at and doing right now? Devin, I'll, I'll start with you. I know there's some great activists such as Brody Cliff and Omni Gardner. They're preparing uh, pickets outside of certain MDA, uh, CDA. There's too many damn acronyms in this industry. The CDA, um, <laughs> CDA dispensaries. So definitely um, try to connect with them. They're going to be releasing schedules of where they're going to be and when they're going to where they're going to be and when they're going to be there. Also, the legislative session is going to be coming up pretty soon. There's going to be some bills we're going to be trying to get pushed forward. We're still trying to push forward the Social Equity Loan Fund, um, the bill that will give the CCC oversight of host community agreements, and just read. A lot of it comes down to reading. If you want to just learn more, literally, just go to Google, type Cannabis Massachusetts, and hit the news section and just read. That's literally what I do every morning when I wake up, and just read, 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 learn, listen. Aaron. Um, I mean, listen, there's an overarching uh, sort of goal of just social equity and inclusion. But within that, this exercise that Janelle and I have been going through for the past few months with social equity participants sharing confidentially some of these LOI agreements that they had, it, that's now has turned into my new passion. Um, I am so sickened by some of the things I've seen and the levels of entrapment and how far some of these bad actors will go to 
basically steal a license from a social equity applicant. Um, I want to educate people. Um, and I wish everybody in here, including you, Mike, as well. I, I, you know, I know your background as well and not similar as mine is the same thing that, um, we all specialize in certain areas. Uh, mine just happens to be in finance. Um, you know, others have other things and we have to start educating people more so that, you know, my mom always said that you can't be preyed upon if you actually have the education in which to protect yourself. That's right. And so that's kind of my new mission now. Um, I really want to empower social equity applicants, give them any knowledge that I can, that I have on certain issues that I'm good at. And so that way they can protect themselves. And I think if we can all educate each other and stay within the information loop and share, um, I think we can actually change a lot just through education. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, that was really good. And uh, Shaleen Title, what do you what do you have for us to close that um, out? So I'll start with two organizations. One is the only organization that I'm affiliated with right now with, which is called the Cannabis Regulators of Color Coalition. Um, they have an email list that's made up of, in September, actually, we co-founded it, me and several other um, women, 10 women across the country who were in similar regulator positions. Um, so that we can get gather all of our equity knowledge together. So that's one. Um, second, um, I had co-founded an organization with Chanel Lindsay um, several years ago, pre-commission called Equitable Opportunities Now. Um, and I think EON, EON, yeah, that's right, EON. And I think they do a really, or EON, and they do a really great job of um, keeping people informed, um, especially on the legislative process and the, the bills being introduced. And then I just want to totally um, underscore what Aaron just said about making sure that our community um, is helping each other um, and 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 helping each other benefit and like putting the needs of the community ahead of individual needs when you can because I think that will help everybody succeed. And then lastly, um, watch the show, Mike Crawford, Grant Smith. You do such an excellent job of getting information out to the people. Thank you, Shalene. I really appreciate that. And I want to thank all three of you for being on the show tonight. Um, we're going to bring up Fabricio De Silva, who's uh, from UFCW. He probably wants to say hi to you. So let's let's just bring him up right now and add him to the screen. Oh, look, he's here. Do you want to say hi, hello to everyone, Fabricio? Oh, he's on mute. Oh, I unmuted. Oh. I unmuted. Okay. Sorry. There you go. Sorry. My fault. No, no. Hi, no. guys. This is li a live show. This is what happens. Usually it's my fault. What happened? All right. Well, I'm just glad to be here. Every time I listen to your show or read anything online that has to do with all of you guys here, I, I learn a lot. So I, I, I'm still on this learning curve about the cannabis industry here from the union side, obviously. Uh, we deal mostly, as you guys know, with the workforce, with the workers, right? But I, I was you know, so happy to hear and get so much from Aaron uh, on the uh, finances, Devin, Shalene, as always. So I'm just, I'm, I was just glad just listening. I'm just um, happy that you invited me to speak. <laughs> I love it. So um, we're I was say, getting a lot just by listening. <laughs> I love it. I'm glad, I'm, I, I really like having you on and uh, having your support of us too. Um, good. We're going to talk about that. Um, I'm gonna let Shalene definitely go and Aaron and Devin if if you know if it's up to them. If they want to hang out, they can. But I know Shalene, especially, her time is very valuable 
as all not, everybody's not is. anymore. But not as much. You have a, you have children though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know Aaron has children too. I hear them in the background. I'm not sure about Devin, but yeah, I'm kid free, and that's gonna be stay that way for a while. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. I got I got kids. Rolling relief is my baby. That's all I care. Right. <laughs> so I mean, we'll let you go, and uh, yeah, I, I guess yeah, good night. Have a good night. Thank you so much. For Appreciate being so much, guys. Yeah, have a great night. Thank you, guys. And uh, we're gonna be down. I think just to Fabricio and I. Um, Fabricio, like I, I definitely wanted to talk uh, to you tonight because we're talking about this whole CDA situation, and it, it got really strange this week with, uh, you know, just what was happening, and basically twelve dispensaries quit. Uh, the, the Commonwealth Dispensary Association almost over the weekend. It just like a number of them, and it was about uh, this delivery licensing. You were one of the first people I called. Uh, I texted about it. I was like, did you see this? What do you think? Yeah. What You know, can you get me Sarah Mayflower on the phone? I'd love to talk yeah. to them because I know that you have employees over there. And within yeah. a couple hours, you you had gotten back to me and were like, Mayflower's out, Sarah's yeah. out. Like, did you make yeah. calls to them? How did that work? I did. I did make some calls. Um, I, I don't think they would ever say that it was because of my call that they pulled out. But immediately what you, when you sent me that message, I, I was eager to see what were their responses uh, right away. And that's why I, you know, I was able to. It seemed like it you. happened like within an hour. It's like, as yes. soon as we go, it was like, wow, yes. that was quick. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was glad to be able to, that I was able to give you that information about whether my call or message had anything to do with it. I'm not sure, but maybe the timing there's worked out, you know, um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But it was definitely, uh, I was glad that you texted me right away. You know, I, I had my staff reached out to, to the company. Some of them I reached out myself. I mean, I was on the phone with a lot of them right away within an hour. Um, but yeah. I, I mean, uh, this Commonwealth Dispensary Association, I mean, I, they're like the talk of the town and the cannabis industry. Uh, from the union's like perspective, do you do you guys talk about it like we do, like the rest of the community? Like, are you kind of like shocked what's been going on with them? I have been, uh, as you know, we don't, amongst the unions, we don't have a lot of unions working on this with us. So obviously amongst the staff, and I always like to say that we're still very rookies when it comes to the whole picture of cannabis, right? We're always, you know, you guys are so knowledgeable. So we really depend on you and and Shalene and everyone in the cannabis community who really made me understand this industry better for us to get inside, you know, start some uh, bottom up organizing. And um, so this conversation is still new amongst the staff. Uh, those who are more involved, myself and some of my cannabis organizers, obviously this is more common. So yeah, we talk a lot about, it. we are shocked. And, you know, I was really, when I listening to your other speakers, um, uh, something that I believe was Shalinda that said, some of the, you got these companies who pulled out and then some, some of these who stayed in and then, you know, you wonder why some of, why the ones who are still in, are still in and the ones that actually came out, why are they doing it? And it, just by listening to everything you guys said, you know, I, I wonder if they pulled out because they believed on, on the reason why they were pulling out at the end of the day. Uh, you know, we want to believe that. So, you know, it became new so fast, right? And, you know, I'm making calls, you're putting stuff on Facebook and, 
what is the reason behind? Is is there something really tangible that we can say, oh, they believe in social equity, therefore, you know what I mean? Because some of these companies that pulled out uh, don't really show on a daily basis that they believe in social equity anyway, right? Um, so I I don't I don't know, but we do talk a lot about it. We um, we've been uh, you know getting information from outside and and some feedback from people, and uh, it's definitely interesting what's happening. One of the reasons I want to have you on the show, besides the fact that you definitely I think help you know, this movement this week, uh, in terms of the delivery, uh, for equity, you've been working at Netta and, and we've been documenting, we've had all, you know, a bunch of employees and they've really treated their employees. Not well, you've, you've organized yeah. over at Netta. Uh, does Netta believe in social equity? Do you feel like they well, do? Not. What do you feel like, no. you know, about them being one of the first to withdraw from the CDA and try to make themselves look good? Like they care about social equity. I think you just answered it. I think they just really wanted to make themselves look good. Uh, you know, it's about the name. It's about, you know, we were the first ones or, you know, we're, we're carrying the move, if you will, because NETA, uh, on a daily basis, that's not what they show. You know, we know, you know, that we've, uh, done some organizing at the dispensary and we know the results, the disaster that that was, how they took advantage of COVID and everything else. Uh, we now represent the uh, uh, the cultivators in Franklin at the Grove. We're still having issues with that. Uh, Netta keeps ignoring some of our requests. Now they still really engage on anti-union uh, uh, activities. I mean, it, it, the, the way they treat the workers, you can't believe in social equity. Let's just make it, I'm, I'm trying to find the word, but whatever. You can't believe in social equity and treat your employees the way the Netta does. You can't believe in social equity and not take care of safety at your plant. You can't believe in social equity. It's great on paper. It's great that you put out of the CDA and you still have mold at your plant, right? That's and, right. And, and, still, and, and still spend money. For years against, now. For years. Yeah, they've for had years. That mold. And they yeah. Correct. You and it's like, be, you, remember when Rob Colley called on the show? He, he, I just go back to Rob. He was like, you know, he, he, the, the trim room, like every chair is broken. Like these guys are sitting in a trim room every day on the same chair and every chair is broken. Like that mm -hmm. just, this is yeah. basic stuff. Yeah. We are about to in, in, engage on bargaining for the uh, cultivators this month. And, you know, we, we're going to do a walkthrough at the plant. We're going to, we're really going to get on their face. But what, what I mean by going back to, okay, I believe in social act. I pull out, I pull out of the CDA, you know, they paint a picture, but, you know, the workforce doesn't experience that on a daily basis, right? And by the way they engage with the union also, they don't show that. They make everything so hard, right, that you can't. I, I, it's, it's, uh, it, you're being two-faced, and that's why when I saw the Netta pulled out, you know, I was, I think I, I was actually pretty mad. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of us Netta were like, does it. yeah. Yeah. Can you? I mean, people was, yeah. People were sending texts like, "Can you believe this shit?" Like that was like the yeah. response to, "Can you believe yeah. that Netta's trying to pull this shit?" But yeah. Uh, yeah. again, uh, we're, we're talking to Fabricio De Silva. Uh, he's with uh, uh, UFCW fourteen forty five. They're a labor union. Uh, they cover uh, you know quite a bit of uh, employees locally. Stop and shop. 
a lot of cannabis uh, locally as well. A lot of uh, are, are studying to get unionized, specifically New England Treatment Access, Mayflower. Who are some of the other? Uh, oh, Sarah, obviously. Sierra uh, Naturals, Cultivate. We just organized Liberty in Somerville, that dispensary. Uh, we filed a petition for last week for Cape N. Uh, uh, also. Botanicals? Is that Cape N yeah. Botanicals? Yes. No, yeah. I think it's. We, in, uh, so, I mean, we, we have. We have a lot of uh, activity in the cannabis industry right now. Again, learning, it's a new industry for us, uh, even though we've been working on it for about a year and a half, almost two years. Uh, but, you know, these, these companies, they, um, what I, just like any other companies, I mean, nothing is really different. You know, they paint themselves to be something, right? Uh, when they want to open a dispensary, when they want to come to a town, right? When they're here, they're telling you the world, you know, how they're going to impact this community and how they, they're so great, how they're going to treat the employees perfectly and, and take care of their needs and make sure that, that, that they're treated with this respect, with dignity, right? Those are really nice words, just like social justice, right? It's a good word, but, some, but can you walk the walk? I believe Shalina, one of your speakers said that. You know, you talk really nice, you talk well, but can you walk? Can you actually uh, show that you mean what you said? Um, and in companies like Netter and, and many others, uh, Revolutionary Clinics, uh, these are just companies that are engaging in anti-union activities on a daily basis. When my organizers are out there, you know, they're calling the cops on us. They don't want us to talk to the employees. They try to get us out of the, you know, their property when we're in the parking lot. They call the cops on us, right? What kind of social equity is that, right? What I may be missing something here, right? Um, so, and that's what we are experiencing as a labor union on a daily basis, right? Uh, that these companies are spending money, okay? Because you know, you know what they have to do. They have to pay anti-union consultants. They have to pay uh, people to run their campaigns and consult and how they can brainwash the workers. How can they lie to them and? And, and therefore they're using dollars to uh, rob people from exercising their own rights, which is the right to choose, right? That's right. It's simply the right to choose, the right to form a union, right? And, and, and if you believe in social equity, then this goes right in line with it. And if you're not doing it, then um, you're full of baloney. <laughs> yeah, and I think they also pay people to watch our videos. Uh huh. Of course. Uh, you know, I think, and, I think and, we know that for sure. We we know that for sure. Yeah. yeah. We, we were named in. Uh, it, that's a little thing between Fabricio and I, right? For, I mean, uh, I think our audience knows. And you know, we had a, uh, a Netta employee come on the show, and uh, he got fired. Uh, basically, uh, you know, really, Netta said about coming on the show. You know, I don't want to get into all the specifics, but uh, definitely was referenced, and basically, yeah. You know, it didn't go good for Netta, did it? Really, in the end? No, 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 no. It no. didn't. Uh, we um, at the end of the day, I, I know it's not one hundred percent true, but the truth and justice comes through, and not always. Sometimes, you know, these companies and these cases that we have don't go our way, but we continue to fight and do what's right, and we did what was right in that case, um, and we continue to do it. I mean, the the whole fight with Netta is not over. Uh, the, and I say fight because they created the fight. We never That's approached right. Netta. Okay, they created. Uh, they did we, create a fight. Yeah, we've, I mean, 
I let's just applaud companies like Sierra Naturals, right? They said, if my employees want to join, they're going to join. We're not going to spend dollars fighting against our own employees, right? right? That's a very healthy uh, relationship set, right? So they respect the workers' rights to join the union. The union doesn't have to go out there and waste our time uh, damaging the company or exposing, if you will, not damage, exposing what they do because they decided that it's better for us to put our energy and money into collective bargaining agreement, into coming up, coming up with programs, right? Uh, coming up with languages outside of the bargaining agreement that will benefit workers. And, and that's how it should be. That's and right. there's no reason for companies not to do that. The problem is the greed gets on the way. That's right. right. There's enough money. I always say that, that these uh, companies uh, in, in cannabis, the issue with them, uh, organ the, with their workforce organizing is not money. It's control. Yes, right. The money yeah. is there. Right. They have the money. They already have the they money have sometimes. The mo- they have yeah. the money. Sometimes they're, they're already born with a billion bucks, right? The That's guy from right. Meta. That's you know, right. it's so funny you mentioned Sierra because in so many examples, like even going back, like we mentioned mold earlier, around the same time I found out the first time that there was an issue with mold at Meta, New England Treatment Access, there was also an issue with mold at Sierra. And the difference was night and day the way that they handled it. Sierra That's came right. right out, was publicly acknowledged it, fixed the situation and got rid of the mold and, and protected people and protected their employees, protected customers with the information. They didn't hide it. That to right. me made me feel so good about Sierra compared to Netta, which Netta did the opposite. They lied about it. They covered it up. They, they later on, they admitted stuff. I mean, they've done crazy stuff. I don't want to go through every detail in case I get something yeah. wrong, but they did not handle things correctly. And that's what I've seen over and over again from Netta. Where Sierra, like you said, with the union situation, they handled it correctly. It's it, it, and Sierra also had another issue I saw too earlier on. And again, it seems like they've addressed their issues. They 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 don't hide from them. And that that's all we're asking. We're asking you that's to, it. when there's an issue, acknowledge it, fix it, work with people. Right. And, and, if, when, and when they don't, then the union is there to enforce it. Right. And right. that's uh, and that's how and that's healthy. At the end of the day. The workers win. The workers are the ones that benefit from this uh, process, right? Uh, what Netta or any other employer out there uh, creates by fighting unionization is they are, they are robbing the workforce for having a process to fix things, to have uh, guarantees, uh, to, to have a process that they can speak without fear of retaliation, right? And to me, that's all part of, being, of believing in social equity. Because at the end of the day, if a worker, when we, when we think in a broader way, this, at least that's the way I see it, when your workforce is happy, well-paid, have benefits, okay, you are impacting your community as well, right? People are going home less, not being so stressed, right? The families are impacted when you work in a good place, when you have a, a good working environment, it does impact your community, especially now during COVID where everyone is so stressed and concerned, right? So we may not see it that way, but if people are happier at work, we have better communities, we have better families. If people have set schedules, guarantee hours, guaranteed uh, COVID pay, if they you know, get infected, like Syrac, we came up with a program where they were getting paid for their quarantine time, right? Even after it was lowered to 10 days, they were still getting paid for a 14-day quarantine, right? 
So I don't have to worry about my bills. So I'm, I'm living at home. I'm less stressed with my family, with my kids if I have kids, right? So there's a, there is a huge impact in a community as a whole when you have a plant like Sierra with, you know, 150 plus workers, NETA, right? They, they are connected to a lot of people and a lot of families. And by being a bad employer or fighting unionization or fighting workers from having a voice, they are affecting our community in many ways, right? Now, those supervisors, those men, the CEOs, they don't see it that way because they're so disconnected because they're not in our community, right? They don't see these people every day. They don't see them at the grocery store. They don't see it at the, at the ball game. Their kids don't go to school with them. Like, they, they're just not connected. So, therefore, they don't care. And that's just the reality of it. And that's how I see the unionization of the cannabis industry is not just a growth on in membership, not just because we want to have a new industry, but we believe in impacting our communities because they need it. So we they believe that it. we have. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that that is the key. I, I think people I want to drive that home. I'm glad you said that, too. The, the union goes in when there's a need. And there's a need in cannabis specifically more than probably most anywhere else because of the way it's been set up, unfortunately. And there are health issues, especially in the in the manufacture and the cultivation. And that's where you're winning a lot of your successes, mostly, especially early on. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, front end people, too, are going to want to be part of the union. But uh, I, I, mm -hmm. I noticed that cultivation seems always to be the first to go because there are health and safety issues there. And you're talking about corporations that are just sprouting up overnight and there's a lot yep. of issues. This is a brand new industry. There's a lot of issues in it. And there's a big, like you said, disparity between who owns these places, billionaires and people That's who right. are working in them and, and, and taking right. risk. Yeah. So right. it needs right. it more than anything else. I want to bring up Grant Smith because he's been waiting here as well. Yeah. I want to add him to the screen. Have you talked to Grant? Have you met Grant before? I've met him well. I know who he is. We never had you know him. who he is. Everyone knows who he is. Fabricio <laughs> who doesn't know who he is? <laughs> from the UFCW meet Grants Ellis Smith. Uh, he's not on mute. What's up, no, buddy? What's no, going no, on? No, no. no just no, saying hi. Hello. Nice to meet you. Hey, Grant. How are you? Good, good. Uh, busy days, but I'm here, and nice to see both of you. I hope the show's been well. It's Thank going you. good. It's interesting, you know. It's it's funny to uh, be on something new and have like three or four people, and you know, realizing that you can mute different people, and you know, it's it's interesting, Grant. It's a nice, it's a nice system. I really like it. Yeah, it's nice. So, uh, Grant, I'm sure you have a lot you want to talk about today. Do you have any questions for Fabricio while he's here as well? No, no. I found his uh, information uh, really good. I I think unions obviously are important and form the backbone of a, a lot of oversight of corporate malfeasance and have also given us a lot of uh, court rulings that keep that corporate behavior in check. And that's really where the oversight of uh, a lot of the negative behavior I'm sure you've talked about on the show comes from, which is these companies feel they can hide uh, behind our regulations or our laws or court decisions uh, due to their financial resources. So the less they yeah. the less they can do that and the more people fighting them on that, the better I think our world will be. Definitely. Well said. Well said. Before I let you go tonight, Fabricio, I guess um I got like two last questions. Uh -huh. One one is well actually I, I'm gonna say three questions. Let's just make it all in one, but 
Number one is uh, I want to know about stop and shop workers specifically and, and just other like retail workers right now that are unionized. Are they getting what they were supposed to get, which is the hazard pay? You mentioned the hazard pay and cannabis. What about retail workers like stop and shop? Uh, the other question I wanted to specifically ask is if someone is a cannabis employee right now, I get this all the time, or a friend of a cannabis employee that's not being treated good at work, what can they do? Can they contact you? How do they contact you? And I guess my final question is what, what can people do to help workers in general? You know, especially if, if people have money or time on their hands or energy or political connections, what can they be doing to help the workers' rights movement? Mm -hmm. uh, stop and shop. So uh, if you, whoever has been following our Facebook, we have been able to get hazard pay for stop and shop. Um, throughout not consistently stopping shop had it last year stopped it uh and then we our fight for hazard pay continues with stopping shop we've been able the company has been able to give out some retroactively money uh this february uh but we are still not happy with the amount of money uh the last the last round of bonuses that came in which would have been you know hazard paid for the past you know two or three months uh, was only about 300 for full-timers and 150 for part-time. It's actually ridiculous the amount of money that, that Stop and Shop, w being a grocery store, okay, where they are now, you know, skyrocketing in profit, and, and, and that's all they can offer our members. So the, we continue to engage with the company on that. Uh, you know, we are happy that they deployed this last uh, bonuses that came in. You know, and anything helps obviously uh they've they've been they've engaged on on good faith bargaining at some level so i can't really say you know they suck but you know we're just not happy with the outcome because we believe our workers deserve a lot more okay especially being in a no. grocery store taking care of our food uh and you know i stop and shop workers well let's just say grocery workers in general they're so committed and i think what this pandemic showed is the value of working in a, a grocery store. I think before the pandemic, people saw a grocery worker as a grocery worker, right? As a cashier, but we see them different now, right? right. You know, we call them heroes. You know, it is true. Maybe you see someone who works at a grocery store at the same level as someone who works at a hospital, right? A nurse, a, 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 a housekeeper in a hospital, right? Now, I think this virus elevated that these people are important for our society and we believe that they deserve a lot more what these employees have been able to offer for them um so we continue we, we believe stop and shop should implement a, a hazard pay into this virus completely gone okay that has been continued to be our ask um and uh you know we continue to engage in those conversations uh as a when your question on if you are a cannabis employee uh, being mistreated, uh, the best thing to do is go to our website. We have an area where you can, uh, you go to www.ufcwlocal1445.org. There's a form there that you can um, fill out. Okay, it's confidential. You, you know, you say where you work, your name, your phone number, a point of contact, and one of the organizers and staff will immediately contact you and then you can express you know what you're going through and we'll uh we'll get you involved you know we'll 
will educate you about the process, your protections, and how to do it correctly, right? Because uh, there, there is a way to do it correctly. So that way you are protected. Companies don't take advantage of you and try to get rid of you because you're exercising your rights. Um, and I think that's the best thing. That's the best way. Some people are really concerned about calling the union hall sometimes, right? Or who am I talking to? So a lot of times some of those contacts comes to me and I am the actual first point of contact. I still run the organizing department for now. So anybody who's listening can feel comfortable that if you go to our website or, or call the office that it's confidential and we're going to make sure that we uh, walk you through uh, the right way. Uh, what can you do if you have money, if you have uh, political uh, connections or time? I think the best thing for me to say is that the easiest thing that you can do, the easiest thing is have conversations. Forget about even mobilizing the action. If on a daily basis you are having conversations with people that you know, encouraging them to do what's right, I believe that's the best thing that the labor movement or a local union like my local can ask someone to do, right? Because there's so much negativity uh, when it comes to union organizing, so much negativity when it comes to uh, uh, fighting for your rights that comes from your employer. And I believe the best thing is that if in our communities, you know, in the dinner table, having lunch with your bodies, that people can have that conversation, a safe place and a safe space where people are being positive about you wanting to bring changes to your workplace. Now, if you have time to, you know, uh, volunteer, right, and come out with, with an organizer to do home visits, even though that's something that we're not doing as much on these days, come out in a Zoom meeting to say, hey, I'm not even a cannabis worker, but I, I'm with you. Okay, I'm a stop and shop worker. You know, we want you, we, we want to support you. Um, and, and that has been happening a lot lately. Even our members today are more active. You know, they're coming out to work on food drives. You know, they, they do phone calls. They, they call workers who are organizing to give them a word of encouragement. Because I believe that the best way to mobilize a community is that community embracing that organizing drive as their own and not just the local union with the union drive to increase membership. So I think that's, I think that's the easiest way for someone to support any worker, any organizing drive, whether it's my local, a cannabis organizing drive, or you know the teachers or, or the bus drivers, right? I think that then, because when you're at work doing an organizing drive, it's very tense, it's very negative. It, it, there's a sense of, of friction, but if you can get that positivity and that support from the outside, then workers can make it through. Thank you. That's uh, Fabricio De Silva. He's the secretary treasurer of UFCW 1445. They're a labor union in Massachusetts that is uh, involved in the cannabis industry. They're representing cannabis employees as well as other employees like stop and shop workers. So if, if you're not being treated well, hit them up especially if you're an employee. I want to thank you so much, uh, Fabricio, for everything that you do for employees, for what you did this week for social equity, making those contacts and letting uh, the dispensaries know what was going on and uh, for supporting our show as well. 
No, thank you. I, I'm honored to be here with you guys. Thank you. I hope you have a uh, great evening and uh, stay warm. It's freezing All out right. there. Thank you. Thank you, Fabricio. And uh, now we're with uh, Grant Smith to, to uh, close out the show. Grant, I mean, you, you probably heard most of it. What do you think? What, what's your comments tonight? Oh, no, I, I have so much going on. I caught uh, a lot of what Fabricio was saying, but I'm sure you had a great conversation with uh, Aaron and Devin. They're both great guys, and I know they're fully you know tuned in uh, on you know what happened with the boycott. But I, I've said it you know in 25 interviews over the past 48 hours, but I can't wait to say it again here. It feels like a natural conclusion to this whirlwind week that it's been. Um, but um, what was so great about what happened with the CDA um, boycott and ongoing picket and then dropping the lawsuit, and the rev lawsuit dropping, it was all organic. Um, a bunch of groups signed on to it, but it literally started uh, from a Facebook post that uh, I made just, you know, kind of off the cuff. I was talking uh, to uh, Lorna McCafferty, funny enough, um, and I was saying, you know, Lorna, can you help me uh, on Canva make a boycott graphic? And it was like 7.30 in the morning, uh, the day after the lawsuit was announced. And I just had this inkling that as long as there was no one group behind it, there could be no influence peddling used to subvert the uh, the ends of the boycott. And, you know, it could have gone nowhere. Um, there was a Rev Clinics boycott dating back to December of 2019 that I was involved with with some great people. Um, and uh, sadly, uh, that lawsuit went on for a year and a half, as I'm sure you talked about. Um, so boycotts don't always pick up steam, but to see the CDA boycott, the anti-equity lawsuit get so much attention so quickly, it just showed that it wasn't about necessarily the lawsuit, although it's great they withdrew it. People really started to pick up on this mentality being uh, displayed by some of these corporate operators. Now, Mike, you and I have seen it for years, dating back to the task force bill that Hannah Kane and the CDA filed, H4168, dating back to the... Um, they lobbied against the delivery regulations by lying to the city and towns. Someone went around saying that deliveries could go to towns with adult use bans. But anyway, it was a pattern. And that's what really inspired me, that people picked up on the principle and ran with it. And the companies got pressured from inside and changed. And I think that just shows what this community can do when it's authentic. And I like that. It was nice to see at, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now. You know what we didn't mention tonight, actually, is what you brought up is uh, there were two lawsuits that kind of were withdrawn this week. There was a second lawsuit Revolutionary Clinics had against the city of Cambridge. It was like an appeal of an appeal of an appeal or whatever. It's been going on forever, but they also withdrew their lawsuit against the city of Cambridge. Is that correct? Yeah, and that lawsuit was really pernicious um, or insidious because – that was um, Cambridge in uh, the summer of uh, 2019. It feels like it was just yesterday, uh, created an equity priority period. I know you came down for some of the hearings at the ordinance committee. I was there testifying at all of them at City Hall. Um, and that ordinance gave a two-year head start to equity companies getting HCAs. And for people who don't know the context here, to get a cannabis license in Massachusetts, it's bifurcated. So on the, you need to get a state level license, but you also need a local license. And if you have equity status, your application only gets reviewed faster at the state level. It doesn't matter at the local level if you have equity status unless the town wants it to matter. So no city or town had actually done this yet until Cambridge. And Cambridge came out and they created this two-year equity period. And the medical dispensaries, not only did they lobby when the ordinance was trying to get passed to undermine it using some 
less than above board tactics. When the ordinance passed, revolutionary clinics filed the lawsuit. And that lawsuit went on for a year and a half. And Rev Clinics lost uh, a few different times. It was about this really nuanced part of the law, whether a city or town has the right to delay a medical dispensary from opening as an adult use facility for the purpose of an equity period. And what was great about the lawsuit is it backfired on Rev Clinics. And we got three rulings from a single justice of the appeals court, from the superior court, and then from a single justice again, saying that cities and towns can have that period. But what I want to point out about them dropping it is something I've said a few times as well recently. They dropped that lawsuit, but just a few months ago in August of 2020, I think maybe June, they submitted a brief to the court in a motion for summary judgment and called an equity priority period racially discriminatory against non-equity companies. And that goes back to that mentality thing. You don't have your lawyer say that and sign off on that unless that shows what you believe as a company, in my opinion. It certainly shows a lot. <laughs> um, it's also interesting. There's another lawsuit happening um, with Basque and Taunton. Uh, from what I hear, it does, lo doesn't look good for Basque. Uh, I've heard some folks reaching out saying that Basque might come on the show to talk to us about this. I would have liked, I would have welcomed it tonight, but I didn't hear from them. I didn't reach out. I don't have the time to reach out. But you know, I'm welcome. I welcome Basque. I welcome New England Treatment Access. I welcome Revolutionary Clinics. I welcome the CDA. They are all welcome on the show, but they have to answer. They have to answer questions. They, you know, we're not going to be like uh, pro cannabis media network or whoever else and stroke them for money. We're going to ask them the tough questions. Our community is going to have input. They're going to have comments, questions, but they're welcome here. They're welcome to answer. I just don't think they will. 